Hey friends, we're back with another episode of DHP. I'm your host, DGS, and today we're interviewing TML, the Michael Lawrence, on Henson's philosophy of ministry. So first we provide some backdrop of what the other philosophy of ministries when it comes to church are. Uh, this is kind of the, what Michael and I talk about on this episode is like the opening talk of the Weekender um, that we do. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Weekender is uh, kind of a mini church conference that we put on once a year, usually the third weekend of May, where we invite church leaders and any church members who would be interested just to kind of talk about church, talk about why we do church the way we do and how we do it, and uh, give an opportunity for questions and hanging out around that subject. Anyways, um, that's what a Weekender is, but that's not the topic of this. This is on philosophy of ministry. I trust you'll find it helpful. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Disciple Hinson Podcast, Dr. Michael Lawrence. Thanks for having me, Dan. <laughs> Anytime. So we want to talk about philosophy of ministry today. Uh, that's like a phrase that is thrown out every now and then. And uh, PK helpfully said, hey, you guys should do a podcast because oftentimes you say philosophy of ministry here at Hinson and you don't define it. Okay. So I'm not going to have you define it quite yet. Sure. Let's, uh, let's first talk about what some of the different philosophy of ministries are like give us the lay of the land lay them out for us uh talk talk to yeah, us sure. about those yeah, yeah. De definitions are hard but actually i think this is something easy to recognize so one of the philosophy of ministries that i think a lot of people have heard of and will be very familiar is what's called seeker sensitive uh that became really popular in the 90s you might think of uh, willow creek or saddleback and the idea there chicago california chicago and california uh, and, and the idea there is, uh, we, you, you know, you want non-Christians to come to church. You want them to hear the gospel. You want them to feel comfortable. So you, you try to orient everything around their experience, uh, making it welcoming, comfortable, accessible. Uh, you're going to reshape your music according to the kind of music they like. You're going to get rid of pews and do... Uh, like movie theater style seating because people are comfortable with that. You might change even the way your physical building looks like so that the building looks more familiar to the kind of spaces that non-Christians, unchurched people would be in. That that could be like a corporate office park for in some contexts. In other places, it might make it feel more like a movie theater. But the, but the whole philosophy of ministry is let's get rid of all the churchy language, Let's do all that we can to make this experience feel as accessible and comfortable as possible. And everything then would be oriented toward that non-Christian seeker uh, so that they can hear the gospel. So, a seeker, so that'd be an example. That's, that's helpful. A seeker-sensitive um, philosophy of ministry or model would then be uh, in part determined by the context in which that church finds itself. So Saddleback and Willow Creek are going to look slightly different. I mean, oh, they're yeah. both, uh, you know, relatively urban areas, I guess Chicago more, more so, although these, these churches were kind of more out in the suburbs. They are. I think oftentimes the seeker-sensitive uh, philosophy of ministry is is typically practiced in the suburbs. In Chicago, uh, at Willow Creek, they really went for the, the office park 
mm-hmm. uh, kind of look. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saddleback feels very Southern California. I mean, they've really thought about their context. They've even Hawaiian shirts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Flip flops, come yeah. as you are. Yeah. Uh, they've thought very carefully about their target audience, mm-hmm. right? So you people will talk about Saddleback Sam, Saddleback Sally, or Unchurched Harry and Unchurched Mary. And uh, the the idea would be let's let's think about who that demographic is that we're going after, and let's shape everything around their likes. Like what what's going to attract them? What's going to mm-hmm. make them want to come? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that is going to have impact on the way you do your worship service because it's going to need to be entertaining. Bill Hybels used to say he wouldn't do anything unless he could do it ninety percent as good as Hollywood. Mm. Um, uh, it's it's going to impact the kind of uh, programming that you set up uh, because you, you're going to want to have programs and opportunities that non-Christians are going to want to be involved with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to impact the way you, you even think about your, your sermons. I, I remember um, early on watching some of these services and the, the, uh, the platform was, now this dates me of course, but the platform was made to was kind of modeled off of the set of like the tonight show or, or late night, right? The, the desk, it was, it was kind of almost like a, 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 a late night talk show, even format and feel mm-hmm. with the banter, mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 the really, really kind of, uh, sharp and funny, uh, 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 dialogue going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, I don't mean to open a can of worms here, but like, um, you, we're just seeking to describe. Yeah, this is just a description of a, one philosophy. One of philosophy ministry. of ministry in terms of the origins. I mean, and what began. Um, any anything to say about origins? Yeah. And, and and the why for that philosophy? You know why that why that's going on? For the seeker sensitive in particular. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the origin is out of a a really godly desire to see non Christians saved. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So people are recognizing uh, as they. <laughs> Deal with there goes uh, uh, Mark Woodcomb on his motorcycle. On his motorcycle, <laughs> right by. Uh, yeah, in the in the nineties, people are really aware that, um, and actually, even the late eighties and nineties, uh, baby boomers aren't coming to church anymore. And so, how can we get them back in church? Um, wh- what are they into? What do they like? Uh, so, there's a real desire uh, to to get the gospel to people that don't have the gospel. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe people that grew up in church at one point but have walked away from the church because it seems irrelevant or mm-hmm. old fashioned. And so there, I, I think for a lot of these philosophies of ministry, and we can talk about some others, mm-hmm. often what is driving them is a, a, a good evangelistic kind of zeal. Now, and uh, as they thought about, so if that's maybe the heart uh, behind it, wanting to see people come to Jesus, and then they're like, how are we going to do that? How are we going to bring people in our culture and context to Christ? Um, are they looking more at like Acts 17, Paul kind of meeting people where they're at as he's walking through the marketplace, or are they looking more to better business practices and, uh, Barna research, you know, surveys, what do people, what are people interested in? I, I mean, maybe that's a false dichotomy, but yeah, I think it's know. a little bit of a false dichotomy because I do definitely think that some of the preachers in that are using this particular philosophy of ministry are paying attention to passages like Acts 17 mm-hmm. and seeing how 
Paul starts with them where they are mm-hmm. and then and then tries to, to move to the gospel. But it is the case that a lot of the proponents of these philosophies of ministry, and particularly the seeker-sensitive model, they were definitely looking to polling data. They were looking to the Barna Research Group. They were pulling from the Harvard Business Review, uh, really trying to think deeply about culture, uh, trying to think deeply about communication strategies that were learned from advertising and, and what actually moves people. Uh, to commit to you know making a purchase mm. and then mapping that on to evangelism uh, so there, there was a, a lot of drawing from the tools that just our culture uses uh, to gather people to draw people in and close a sale so that's uh, we spent a little more time on seeker sensitive uh, perhaps because of its prevalence kind of in our context and even Hinson's own his- history. Sure. Uh, maybe in the 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, that's right. But uh, so, so that's one. What are a couple others maybe more briefly? Yeah. So more briefly, uh, there's the one probably that if you're my age or a little older that you grew up with, we would think of now as just the traditional church, right? Mm. Uh, special music, a choir. There would be various programs for different age graded groups from the youngest children to the oldest adults. Uh, as it moved into the 70s, they started building like family life centers, gyms, mm-hmm. uh, different different sort of things like that to serve the family. That particular philosophy of ministry in some ways comes out of things that were learned in the Second Great Awakening, mm-hmm. uh, in which uh, special music would attract people to the event. Uh, eventually, uh, moving on through the work of Moody and then uh, Billy not Stephen and Liz Moody, Stephen, no, yeah. <laughs> no, no, but the the, the famous evangelist, mm-hmm. um, uh, Billy Graham and others. Uh, eventually, that model that they're using kind of uh, becomes the standard model for the Sunday morning church service. Uh, so the Sunday morning church begins to look and feel like a stationary permanent uh, revival service or revival meeting. Uh, a, a more recent model is the missional church model. Uh, this is a model that focuses much more on the urban context. Uh, the fact that uh, people actually don't want to come to church. And so the idea is, well, let's take church out there to them. Church becomes decentered. Uh, the, the main idea, the, the main experience of church isn't the Sunday morning gathering. But the missional small groups, uh, you're out there doing life together. You're inviting non-Christians into your your mini corporate life together, seeking to model uh, what faith looks like, uh, seeking to love the community. There's there tends to be a real focus on uh, works of social justice in the missional model, uh, because of course those are things that. Uh, People are concerned with these days. Mm-hmm. They're, they're concerned with making their schools better or cleaning up their parks or, or dealing with other issues of justice in their community. And the idea is, yeah, let's push church out into small groups and get them engaged in those kind of acts and works of justice as a way of commending the gospel to the, the watching world. And then the, in the missional model, oftentimes the both preaching and the Sunday morning gathering are de-emphasized. It might happen as little as once a month. Um, because the center of the church is understood to be out there on mission in the community through the small group. There's so many different uh, aspects of each of those three, seeker-sensitive, traditional, and missional, 
that it would be interesting to drill down into like how can you how could you know which one you're in because obviously and we're going to talk about this in a minute there's some bleed between the three it's not just like oh this is solidly 100 percent in the traditional category there might be elements of That's both right. the missional and the traditional so just as a fun thought experiment um how would the lord's supper look in each one of those models like first seeker sensitive how might the lord's supper be practiced in a seeker sensitive model church so that's that's really interesting uh for some of the more careful seeker sensitive model churches the mm-hmm. lord's supper doesn't happen on sunday it would happen uh, on like on wednesdays at the believers only service no kidding yeah i didn't even know that yeah okay yeah Interesting. So they might have a Wednesday night service that's that is aimed at believers. Aimed at believers. It's going to feel more like a traditional service, and that's where the Lord's Supper would happen. Isn't that ironic? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's seeker sensitive. What about traditional? How does the Lord's Supper look? Yeah. So church? so in the traditional church, uh, the Lord's Supper is going to happen on a Sunday morning. Uh, I grew up in a very traditional church that that happened once a quarter. Mm. Uh, it looks not all that different, probably, than what we do here at Henson. Okay. So uh, the, the table is like some scriptures read of like who this Lord's Supper is for. Mm-hmm. That's okay. right. And maybe the deacons would be down front. They, uh-huh. might even, they might even march in in a very orderly military fashion yeah. uh, and then distribute uh, the Lord's Supper to people out there in the pews or the chairs uh, and, then, and then collect everything afterwards. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, missional? Yeah, probably you're, you're celebrating the Lord's Supper uh, in your small groups. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, with some of those missional churches, when you do have that like monthly gathering, mm-hmm. uh, then there might be a celebration of the Lord's Supper there. But again, oftentimes in that kind of context, uh, you might have like six different tables spread around the large room. Uh, people will go and serve themselves. Uh, I've heard it said the tables are open. There's no really, uh, for those of you who are listening, who'd be familiar with this terminology, no, no fencing fencing, of the table. It's more, you belong in the community in some cases for the missional churches before you become even a part of that community. Right. So So. the language, the language of belonging before believing is very characteristic of the missional church. So missional, you talked about some of the things that are downplayed in missional, but, uh, certainly one of those would be like church membership would not be a, that's right. A necessary characteristic of the missional church. That's, that's correct. Yeah, it's more, but it's more informal um, in that regard. Uh, so you said you grew up in the traditional. Yeah, I grew up in, in in what would very much be a traditional kind of church. Southern Baptist. Southern Baptist in Charleston, South Carolina, and then in Columbia, South Carolina. Okay. Yeah. So Awana, VBS altar calls, yep. special music, special music, choir. We didn't have Awanas, but we did okay. have VBS. We uh-huh. had Royal Ambassadors uh-huh. um, and Girls in Action, nice. uh, GAs. Yeah. Uh, so we had our, ver- our, our kind of Southern Baptist version of Awanas. Uh-huh. Um, yep. There was youth choir and children's choirs and uh, all like there was programming all the time. I mean, I was in church morning and evening on Sundays and again on Wednesday nights uh, and there was something for everyone. Good experience in church growing up? Like, are you hearing the gospel, warm feelings towards Jesus? Uh, So two things. Uh, I'm definitely hearing the gospel, for sure. Uh And I think I became a Christian through that uh, church um, or that model of church. Uh, I'm also seeing, though, a lot of just sort of nominal Christianity. Uh, I'm seeing. What do you mean by nominal? Well, I'm seeing a real disconnect between what's being taught and the lives of the adults around me. Okay. And then as I be you know, grew up in, in, in the youth program, mm-hmm. 
I began to see, oh, it's not just a disconnect between what's being taught in the lives of the adults around me. It's a disconnect between what's being taught in my life and my fellow youth member, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. members' lives. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, oh, church discipline uh, growing up is practiced. In no, your, never okay. saw it. Never saw church discipline. Interesting. Okay. So you laid out the three. We kind of colored it in a, a little bit. A little bit. Got started. Um, what What's the same? About, well, I think what's, what, yeah. What's the common denominator I, with all three of I, those? I want to make the argument that for all three of those, traditional, seeker-sensitive, and missional, they're all essentially attractional. They're all, all three of them are asking the question, what? do non-Christians want? What are they interested in? What would cause them to like want to come to church or come to my small group or pay attention to what's being said? Even in the traditional model? Non-Christians? Yes, even the traditional model. We forget. The reason we call it traditional is because we're young enough to look back on it and it feels traditional. But Mm -hmm. at the time, Mm -hmm. uh, it was attractional. It it was the attractional church of the 19... 30s, 1940s, 1950s. By the time you get to the 60s and 70s, culture has changed, so mm-hmm. now it feels traditional. Mm-hmm. Feels insular. That's right. Mm-hmm. But in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, it's not traditional. It's contemporary. Mm. Um, it's just an accident of history that I call it traditional because I'm just, I'm just not old enough to, to have experienced it as contemporary. So our tra- traditional churches are still trying to reach the lost. It's, it's at least from our perspective, and maybe this is rather judgmental, but I would assume it would be the case for many of our listeners. It's a, it's kind of being socially unaware. Yeah, exactly. They, okay. they, they have, uh, they, maybe they haven't noticed that culture has changed uh-huh. or they don't like the way that culture has changed. And so what began as attractional has become institutionalized hmm. and now it's just the way you do church. Okay. okay. And you know, churches are tend to be very conservative and don't like change. Loath to change. Yes. Um, okay, so so they're seeking. If the common denominator is seeking to attract the non-Christian, um, and and think like, let me just make that case a little bit more. Yeah. So in the '40s and '50s, you've got all these guys that have come back from the war. The suburbs are booming. What do people want? Well, they want something for their families, as these new suburbs are are growing. Then you get to the seeker sensitive in the um, in the '80s and in the '90s, and particularly, it actually begins in the '70s. Uh, uh, in, in, in through to the early 90s. And what what's the question? Well, you've got all these baby boomers that have stopped coming to church. Well, what do they want? They want rock music. You, mm-hmm. you know, they, mm-hmm. they, they, they want something that, that is casual, that lets them just come as they are, right? So then you move into the 90s and early 2000s and we're into the missional church. And what, is the, what does the young generation want? They want justice. Mm-hmm. They're concerned about issues of justice mm-hmm. uh, because they are well past the civil rights movement and they're they're looking at their society and they're realizing wait a minute not enough has changed so the youth culture is very concerned about issues of justice but at each step of the way uh what is happening is people are paying attention to culture so if that's a common denominator um I guess zooming out for, for all three, I guess I think about the great commission. Mm -hmm. I think, I think Matthew 28, isn't this what we're supposed to be doing is being a a light to our neighborhoods and to the world and uh, seeking to uh, uh, turn the inside out to draw the outside in. Yeah. Oh, uh, we are to be a light to the world and Uh the great commission is exactly what is driving us. However, uh, there's a missing step, right? There's an assumption that therefore the point of Sunday morning gathering for worship is evangelism. 
And I would argue that actually the primary audience for our gathering to worship every Sunday is not the non-Christian. It's God. He is the primary audience. Uh, the purpose of the church when it gathers to worship is to worship, uh, not primarily to do evangelism. Now, mm. people at Hinson will recognize, I explain the gospel every Sunday, and mm -hmm. I call non-Christians to repent and believe every Sunday. Mm -hmm. But the primary purpose of our gathering is uh, to be a display of the gospel in our corporate worship together as people that really have no reason to be together, have no reason to love one another, have, have no reason to even, frankly, be in the same room together, are there anyway. Why? Because the gospel's changed their lives. Um, so the, the, the church in its gathered worship is a display of the gospel. I think it's a huge, um, uh, I was going to say apologetic, but it's, it's, it's a great demonstration and defense of the gospel uh, by our love for one another as we gather. But the point of the gathering is not primarily evangelism. So how would you how would you make that case, um, or what would be some scriptures that someone could go to, to kind of see that? Well, I mean, certainly the, the one of the classic places to go to is is Hebrews ten. Uh, let me quickly turn there. Uh, so in Hebrews chapter ten, uh, the 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 author writes, uh, beginning in verse twenty four. And let us watch out for one another to, to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the author of the Hebrews seems to think that that, that regular gathering uh, is in, in large part in order to edify and build up the believers, to provoke the believers to love and good works, to encourage us to persevere in faith uh, until uh, the day Christ returns. And then a little bit later, um, he's, uh, he's going to talk about this over in chapter, um, in chapter 12, uh, where he talks about th this gathering, when, when we gather, uh, chapter 12, uh, verse 12, he says, instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. Uh, and, and then the next verse, so therefore see to it that you do not reject the one who speaks. So in our, in our Sunday gathering, in some amazing way, we're actually participating in the worship of heaven. We've come to this gathering of myriads of angels and the, and, and the firstborn and the saints that have gone on before. And, and the purpose of that gathering is so that we would continue to hear the word of God and not turn away from it. So if the audience is not necessarily our, our neighborhoods, if we're, you know, yes, we are trying to reach our neighborhoods and our friends and family with Jesus uh, for Christ, but the primary audience is God himself, um, which would have a little more continuity, you know, even from Old Testament. That's right. Um, in terms of a, a, a storyline of scripture, how is that going to change 
uh, are how is it how's that going to change the the church the nature of the church the nature and particularly the nature of the gathering if the audience has shifted yeah so if if the audience is God mm-hmm. uh, and and we have gathered to declare his praises mm-hmm. um, it also means that we've gathered to hear from him mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. God God is present and and we are declaring his praises but he is also speaking to us mm-hmm. uh, so what this means I think is that when we think about both the Sunday morning gathering but also then as we think about the rest of the life of the church uh, we want to see a word-centered and word-driven philosophy of ministry because we believe that it is God speaking through the gospel by the Spirit uh, that that creates new life. God does His work through His Word mm-hmm. uh, by His Spirit in, in a world gone awry. You guys, uh, people have heard me say that before. I stole that from David Helm because it was so good. God does His work by His Word through His Spirit in a world gone awry. So we want to multiply opportunities for the word of God to go forth. We need to hear it because it's that word that changes us and shapes and conforms us to the image of Christ. We want it to go out, right? Because that's, it's that same word in the gospel that creates new life, that breaks through stony hearts, uh, that, that uh, makes what was dead alive. Uh, and, and, we want to we want to see that really happen all the time, like every possible way we can work out. So, what might this though? Um, I mean, just to, it would lead to like a worship of the Bible. Like, does this mean that you walk in down the center aisle, kind of like a Catholic priest, like holding up the holy book, and we all bow down and worship? Uh, what's the term for that again? A bit Bible all tree, Bible, or, yes, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I suppose it could, but I, I think here's what we want to remember. We can never separate God from his word. Mm-hmm. Now, so the Bible is not God, but we do understand that God has uh, revealed himself through the scriptures. Those words, those inscripturated words are not just the words of men. They are the words of God. And it is how he reveals himself to us. Uh, It is through his word. And we can't ever separate God from his word. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we want to look for any opportunity for his word to go out uh, in the power of the spirit. So bring it home for us now. You you began um, by laying out the the three uh, different philosophies of ministry, and you said what they all have in common is they're attractional. They're looking um, to attract the non Christian, and then you provided kind of a different an alternative yeah. um, of what we're trying to do here at Henson. And how would you how would you even characterize that? Yeah. So, so what one, would you call it? Uh, well, I would call it a word centered. Uh, ministry or a word driven philosophy of ministry. Okay. Okay. Uh, because I, I'm, I'm less concerned about what do non-Christians think about our worship and I'm way more concerned about, well, what does God think of yeah. our worship? Yeah. What does he have to say to us? Right. Knowing that his word both corrects us, but also gives us life. Right. So, uh, what was that look like? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it, it, it starts uh, with thinking about what's going to be preached on Sunday morning. And we think that through. We, we, that's one of the reasons 
uh, we plan out our services months in advance is so that we can give some thought to this. So what passage of scripture is going to be preached each particular Sunday? What are the, what are the themes that are coming out of God's word mm-hmm. each particular Sunday. It's why we don't do topical sermons. It's one, <laughs> it's one of the reasons that I don't like doing topical sermons. Uh, we do them occasionally. Two in 12 years, for, according to my count, or is, uh, has there been three? Uh, no, there's, there's, there's been three or four, three or four. Okay. Yeah. There've been three or four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so but, but we want to think about what's the text that's going to be preached mm-hmm. or the themes that are coming out of that text. How should those themes that are driven by the text itself that's going to be preached, how should that shape the whole service? Mm. I want that to affect the songs that we choose. Mm-hmm. Um, I want that to uh, shape the prayers that are prayed. Um, and of course, the, the preaching that, mm-hmm. that, is, that is done. So our preaching is typically expositional, not topical. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think expositional is the best way for people to hear the voice of God rather than my ideas. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I I understand people like this current series that I'm doing and I'm trying to make it as biblical as possible on gender on gender. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's a topical series. And the reality is I kind of know every week already, like what I'm going to be talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, because these are things I've studied before. And whereas with expositional preaching, I get surprised every week Mm -hmm. what comes out of God's word. Mm -hmm. Uh, so God's word is really setting the agenda. Uh, it's shaping the rest of the service then, the, the songs, the prayers, uh, the, the way the whole shape of the service comes together. But I think it's important to remember that that's just the start. Yeah. So that's the service. And I think we've we've talked about that in other contexts. To summarize it, we, we preach the Bible, we read the Bible, we pray the Bible, we see the Bible in the ordinances, we sing the Bible. Did I miss any of them? I mean, that's um, how, uh, at least I've heard Lig Duncan, he has a helpful little book. Um, Does God Care How We Worship? Matt Merker's book Mm -hmm. on corporate worship has a chapter that addresses this. Um, But uh, so hopefully, if you've been coming along to Henson for any length of time, you're you're seeing that reflected in our services. But how does a word-centered ministry, um, because I think many church leaders would agree with that. Oh, yeah, we want to be, you know, worshiping the Lord together. But how might that inform, say, something like, hey, children's ministry? Yeah. Right. So as an informed children's ministry. So uh, some of it will depend on how old the children are. Mm-hmm. But obviously, we want to teach our children God's Word. Mm. When they're young, mm-hmm. we really want to try to just get as much Bible content into them as possible because mm-hmm. they can learn a ton. They're mm-hmm. just like sponges. As they get older, we don't want to entertain them in youth group. Mm-hmm. We want to engage them with God's Word mm-hmm. and, and te- be- begin to teach them how to wrestle with hard questions in their lives in light of what God's Word has to say. So how does an ordinary church member uh, uh, be a part of this vision for ministry, this word-driven model philosophy of ministry? Um, We are so wired, Mm -hmm. I mean, you and I as well, to be consumers. And uh, we have to almost discipline ourselves because naturally we want to, um, we're more interested in what do people like? Yeah. You know, what, what, what is, do I like? And what do I like? What are my preferences? What songs do I like? What, what uh, styles do I like? Um, as well as, you know, what can I do to, <laughs> so that the audience will like me? Um, so for, for church leaders, for ordinary church members, um, how can we move away from preferences and styles and kind of our, our native consumerism? 
that to to being a part of a word driven ministry? Any any just common words of wisdom for us? Yeah, I mean several things. Let's start with Sunday morning. Be an expositional listener. Hmm. Um, so as you're listening to me or you or one of the other pastors preach, be comparing it to God's word. Mm-hmm. And does is, is, is what's being said from the pulpit coming out of God's word? Can you see that? Could you repeat it to somebody else mm-hmm. having now listened to mm-hmm. it? Um, of course, we all have our favorite styles of music, mm-hmm. but train yourself to be more concerned about the richness of the lyrics or the lyrics of the songs pushing you uh to, to Christ, right? But are, are they doing so with the, with the richness of the language and the theology of Scripture? Or are the songs kind of all about you and how you feel? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care how good the music is. Uh, uh, singing songs that are about you and your feelings don't help you become more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. They just help you become more self-centered. Mm-hmm. Um, during the week... Right. Uh, look for ways that you can be not only preaching the gospel to yourself, but look for ways that you can be getting together with other believers uh, to read the scriptures together or read a good Christian book together and press God's word into each other's lives. Maybe you're at home with kids. Um, are you thinking about, gosh, how can I how can I bring the word of God into just our daily routines as mom and kids or dad and kids at home? Uh, look, look for those ways to be taking the Word of God that was preached to you on Sunday and then continue to apply it and press it in in, in different ways. We provide questions after every mm-hmm. sermon that you mm-hmm. could take a picture of on the screen or, or get in the newsletter. It's also in the church app. Yep, it's also in the church app. Uh, talk talk to your kids about some of those questions. Talk to your mm-hmm. friends about those questions. Look for... Because what I, I got this from my friend Jonathan Lehman. The, the preaching of God's Word on Sunday mornings is the starting line. It's not the finish line. Hmm. It's where the Word first goes out at the beginning of the week, but now we want to see it continue to kind of reverberate through our lives uh, in every opportunity we can find. That might be in a small group Bible study. It might be in a one-on-one meeting that you have with a friend every every week or every other week. It might be in a lunch group that you've got with uh, co-workers downtown or something like that. But look for ways to press God's Word into each other's lives. Great. Michael, this has been really helpful. Uh, we're, there's so much more we could say about um, the philosophy of ministry here at Henson, this word-driven uh, model. I, we don't feel like we've come up with this. We don't think that Nine Marks has the corner on this um, or anything like that. Uh, and yet, this is what we're trying to promote, not just in our own church, but in um, in other churches, in this, and send uh, brothers and sisters out into the uh, to the nations and to our region. Um, anything else that you would say about like how can the church uh, pray that we stay tethered to God's word or ways that we can discipline ourselves when, you know, as I've said uh, already in w- in one way, you know, uh, particularly this has struck me with Carl Truman's book mm. uh, that where the the self is so often the seat of our authority. And, uh, and yet to, to discipline ourselves, to be looking to God's word in, instead of that, just any, any ways we can pray or anything else you would say on that? Well, I just, I, I would say that if, if you, if you hear this and you think, really, it's just like, seems Bible. kind of boring, seems kind of boring, kind of Bible, simple Bible study, yeah. like asking each other questions about how you're applying God's word into your life. Like, yeah. Really? That's all there is. I just want to encourage you. This is not a new problem. Hmm. Um, 
the the church in Corinth also kind of scratched their heads and said to Paul, "Really? Mm-hmm. That's all. That's all it is." Mm-hmm. Uh, They'd and, much rather follow Apollos or yeah, Paul. Or, really, really, yeah. maybe maybe personalities right. or really really entertaining speakers or or whatever. And Paul writes in First Corinthians one, uh, he he says, uh, "For since." Uh, for since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. The foolishness and weakness of preaching and Bible study and just one-on-one discipling mm-hmm. in God's word is stronger and wiser than anything else the world has to offer. Amen. That's a good place to end. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Thanks today, for having Michael. me. Yep.